you you have something, a substance, a, a thing that our laws say is not permitted, and then all of a sudden, on the stroke of midnight, it is. And now what happens after that? Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. Today is the day we talk to the giddiest fan of Cheez-Its I've ever met in my life, Sheriff Kenny Furlong of Carson City, Nevada. So it's like Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve, um, just before Thanksgiving, the guys will come in here, they give me a box of Cheez-Its, a pack of cigarettes, can we go home early? The sheriff today is going to tell us about the internal conflict that comes with being an upstanding cop who's gone after ganja for 40 years because it's been illegal for his entire career. In 2017, he had to stop because, well, it's not illegal anymore in his county. Now, I met the sheriff about a year ago. He let me sit in on a class with his deputies and a bunch of prosecutors who were learning about how to tell a stone driver apart from a drunk driver. I learned a lot. Anyways, more recently, I went down to talk to the sheriff, and I swear I've never heard anyone snort so many times while laughing. (laughs) He's a real jester, this guy. He even pretended to drag a joint in the middle of our interview. ...about when it comes to... (laughs) I wish I had a photo of that. But he takes his job very seriously. While he comes from a law enforcement family, his priorities are to A, protect the citizens, and B, uphold the law even if he has to set aside his personal beliefs. Sheriff Furlong told me about all the things that will be changing in the wake of legalization. Canine training, car searches, the black market, and all the things that won't. So we talked about, will his life be easier now that pot's legal and he doesn't have to chase stoners around? Or is it going to be harder now that he has to change quite a bit about how he handles green stuff on the job? So you smoke cigarettes. Have you ever smoked the other thing? <laughs> <laughs> I, I am hooked on cigarettes and coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and that's your line. <laughs> My line. <laughs> I talked to the sheriff on an unusually warm winter day. He wanted to smoke cigarettes, so we sat outside on the open-aired porch next to his office. The porch, unfortunately, is not a wood-slatted Wild West boardwalk like Wyatt Earp probably had. It's just a concrete side area. You'll hear cars from time to time. So you never, but, never as a teenager, no, did you? But, but I'm, you know, I grew up, um, I grew up in a very um, strict environment. Um, I, I can tell you that um, in a small town like Carson, dating back to the 60s, it really was a small town. And... You pretty much couldn't do anything without everybody in this town knowing it. Um, And I mean that sincerely. Small towns uh, tend to have a different atmosphere than the larger communities. Sheriff Furlong is indeed a sheriff of a smaller city, population 54,000-ish. Carson City is about 20 minutes south of Reno. It's Nevada's capital. But despite all the political activity, it's a relatively calm town. But most violent crimes are related to drug sales, the sheriff said. Carson City has experienced um, several over the course of my time being here um, homicides related related to marijuana. Not marijuana caused, but related to marijuana. Um, the most recent was a young man who was shot and killed while he was selling marijuana to other 
other people. Um, the, the sale of marijuana and the loss of life is just horrific, okay? Um, I, I understand, I do, the effects of the drugs. Uh, marijuana is not one that is known for causing anger or aggression. But again, you're back to the culture. If you violate my culture, then that really does tear deep. And, and so we do see uh, violence that is associated with marijuana or marijuana being a parallel issue in the event. In other words, this last one, a young man shot, killed in a park, who was actually selling the marijuana. For the past 15 years, Furlong has been sheriff, but he's also been out in the world. He may have been born in a small white house just behind the jail that he now runs, but he spent 20 years with the U.S. Air Force's Special Investigations Office. The bulk of those two decades were spent on the Narcotics Task Force, handling cases across the states and beyond. He was certainly on the front lines of the so-called war on drugs, but it gave him insight into the major differences between certain drugs. It was taught to me very early in my drug career, drug enforcement career. The differences in drug use and drug cultures and you can compare them. A methamphetamines user is not the same as a heroin user, nor a crack cocaine user, and nor a marijuana user. They're all different substances. And you can include alcohol in there as well. And most people would say the worst one to deal with is an alcohol user, okay? But when it comes to your major drugs that, that uh, law enforcement is faced with today, um, your, your tweaker, your methamphetamine user, the term tweaker applies to they just don't have the ability to do anything. They, they store their, their stash in the most filthy, um, uh, disgusting environments. They'll bury it in the ground. They'll keep their needles. Uh, they'll pull a needle out of the trash can and stick it into their arm to get their high. The heroin user will just lay there on a bed and just smoke themselves to death. Very rarely capable of doing anything whatsoever other than to steal to get their next fix. But in the, in the, um, the culture of marijuana, it is dramatically different. It's very often seen as the most clean environment. Um, drugs and ornate devices kept in the most beautiful locations. What appears to be a jewelry box isn't a jewelry box. It's a, it's a, um, a stash, if you will. Um, what appears to be a very ornate device is actually a bong. Where I look for the drugs may be in the most glamorous areas of the house, the Bible, the jewelry case, the nice places, versus the heroin and meth in the trash, in the dirt, or wadded up in some rag somewhere. The cultures are dramatically, dramatically different. And we all know that marijuana is one of the cleanest cultures out there. And when you violate somebody's um, uh, ground that they cherish very heavily, uh, you can present yourself in grave danger. It's not the drug. It's not the drug at all when it comes to marijuana. It's the culture. While the sheriff is not one to share his opinions of legalization, he appreciates the conversations that others had to get to this point, and he respects the law that came to be. Carson City was one of the counties that uh, 
the popular vote was nay to recreational say recreational use. Um, we know that um, uh, in the state, the rural counties very often conflict with the metropolitan counties. Um, we know that. We we always see it. Um, it's it it presents your lawmakers lawmakers with a challenge. Um, how do you how do you set community norms, community health standards, when a community says no, but the state says yes? Those those are difficult challenges, and and I would add to you that it has led to some very heated exchanges. Ex- very, very heated exchanges. It's almost as if folks are putting their heels into the sand and they're not going to budge. Um, for law enforcement, it, it matters not. It matters what the law is. And I think that we have to keep that focus in mind. Uh, you know, I, I said earlier in, in, in a conversation at another meeting, uh, law enforcement should not be enforcing the laws because we're angry about something. We should be enforcing the laws for the betterment of the community. And so we have to adhere to those laws. Certainly, um, a district attorney would have problems prosecuting a marijuana case that was legal. Obviously, it would not make it through the courts because it is a a legal system. And, And so we have to be mindful. When I asked Furlong what influenced his opinions on drugs in general, other than his career, he talked about being a father. He's been public about his daughter's own meth addiction, though she's clean now and helping other addicts recover. He also told me something else that I hadn't known before. You know, um, it's interesting. Can we pause for a second? Yeah. Yeah. So the sheriff leaves me sitting in the sun for a second, goes inside, and he comes back with a yellowing piece of newsprint from 1967. It has an article with a headline that reads, Drug Use Stopped in Time, says Furlong. Underneath is a black and white picture of the Carson City Police Chief at the time looking at a marijuana leaf. That was his dad, the last police chief before Carson switched from having police to county sheriffs. And I've always joked, because that's my father, in time for what, Dad? In time for, <laughs> me, in time for me to deal with it? <laughs> Which, as time has gone on, yeah. that's exactly what happened. Yeah. I've, while he was in, in office then, uh, I today am, am handed the, the bill of dealing with the voter initiative and the legalization of recreational use of the same marijuana that he was out there combating to keep it out of our schools. Interesting consistency. Even then, the children have been always been the focus. Yeah, that's the priority for you that's guys. That's the priority. So do you ever remember your dad talking to you about... Oh, yes. <laughs> what did that conversation sound like? Um, <laughs> my dad was, was obviously, this is back in the, in the 60s, um, uh, late 50s, 60s, early 70s. Uh, reefer madness. Reefer madness. <laughs> <laughs> um, how they would deal with uh, the marijuana smokers at the concerts environments and, and how they would stop that activity dead in its, in its tracks. Um, as we know, law enforcement, public safety has grown. And, and the methods and the tactics that were employed um, 40, 50, 60 years ago just are archaic 
as it compared to how we do it today. And and so we have a much much better approach at, at providing for public safety. What did they used to do? What was um, do you remember? It, it was it was a challenge. You know, you got arrested back in those days. Um, there was a wash down when you got to jail. Your hair was all shaved off. I mean, there was a it, it was a real um, um, aggressive hands on approach towards towards um, safety in the community. Um, today, uh, we look for officers to be very intelligent. Um, we look for officers to not only protect the communities, but to protect those people that come into their custodies as well, very, very well. And, and, and so, yeah, I, I see night and day differences from when I was a child to when I've become the sheriff. Yeah. So what's going to change now? What's going to change for the people that are, A, looking out for the cops? And what's going to change for the cops? I had a whole list of questions, and these are important answers that anyone who is planning to smoke pot should probably know. I started off with a big one, DUIs. Ultimately, I worry about this one. I worry that someone I know might try to drive stoned or someone I know might be harmed in an accident. I actually got hit by a stoner. I know this because he pulled over and a giant cloud of smoke came out of his car. Yeah, my car was okay. It's all good. Or maybe someone I know gets in an accident and there's an injury and they're tested and they test positive, even though they smoked a week ago. Before we talk about drug driving, let me very basically, as I am no Bill Nye, explain a few things about pot consumption as related to driving. When a person consumes pot by smoking it or eating it, THC or Delta 9 tetrahydrocannabinol, you say it 10 times fast, goes into that person's bloodstream. That's the psychoactive component, the one we have to be careful of. If a cop wants to test you to see if you're driving while stoned, they can do a typical impairment test. Walk the line, follow my finger with your eyes, etc. But to confirm that you're stoned, they can't do a breathalyzer. There is, in fact, no accurate test to determine if you're high on the spot. While blood tests can indicate if you've consumed pot, there's no telling when you consumed it and whether you're still impaired because it detects other non-psychoactive components of the plant that last in your system for quite a bit longer than the THC. There's a a challenge on on the DUI side. Um, Agencies such as uh, in Carson City, we had to get in front of that curve by retraining our officers um, uh, on, on how to detect drug use versus the alcohol use. And, and uh, programs such as the A-Ride uh, were widely implemented. Um, it, it allows an officer to go through the field sobriety tests and make a determination as to whether this is an alcohol-related incident or a drug-related incident, or at least allow him to narrow these things down. Um, just from from a vantage point of the sheriff, I see all of the um, arrest probable cause sheets in Carson, and two things strike me. Uh, number one, in most cases where marijuana is on board, the driver of the vehicle readily admits to it. I, I see very few probable cause sheets where the driver does not readily admit to it. it but but that's that's an easy one because it's almost like, well, I can smell the alcohol on your breath. Um, in, 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 in the case of marijuana, it sticks with you also, <laughs> okay? The second side is that, um, and, and this needs to be a very important point, marijuana is a social drug. Alcohol is a social drug. 
we see at a dramatic amount of our um, driving and toxic driving while impaired offenses with both drugs on board, alcohol and marijuana. Um, most of us are accustomed to okay, you can go out to dinner, have a couple of drinks, um, maybe have some dessert, spend some time at your event location, let that go through your system, and you're going to be down below the, the legal limit. Marijuana is not that way. You can't go to dinner, have some marijuana, jump in your car, and go home. You can't go watch the football game with your friends over at a house, partake in marijuana, and then when the fourth quarter rings an end, jump in your car and go home. You just cannot do that. And, and so we're faced with identification of it. Um, in Nevada, it's driving under the influence. It's not necessarily driving under the influence of marijuana or cocaine or heroin or alcohol. It's driving under the influence. And, and overwhelmingly, the arrests that I have seen are both on board. Um, when, when marijuana is a factor, both of them are on board, alcohol and marijuana. So generally, do you test for the alcohol since it is so much easier of a test? Generally, we test for the alcohol. It's a more efficient and effective means. Once you have shown impairment, then why should I spend the money to go on and test for others? Yeah. I've shown impairment. That was the, the violation of the law, and it stops there. If, if the impairment shows that the person was not alcohol-related impaired, then those other tests would have to be after that. It's a matter of law. It sounds like it's a much more difficult case to prove if they're exclusively stoned. <laughs> um, well, I mean, how do you treat those cases? Um, again, the, the system is evolving. Um, blood testing is the only method that, that is uh, most reliable. And, and so a person would be uh, ended up, uh, would end up being taken into custody based on, on the observations of the officer, the inability to maintain a lane or whatever the case is. And then for the, for the court purposes, identifying that most likely factor of what influence and to what degree the influence is. Yeah. Remember, um, and it's easiest to relate it to alcohol, um, 0 0.08 is the alcohol level but you can still be arrested for driving under the influence below that if your impairment is such that you cannot operate a vehicle. The next issue I wanted to know about was canine units or police dogs. Uh, we have a number of canine uh, dogs that work with us on a daily basis here in Carson City. Um, as we look to the future, um, those agencies that do the training and the certifications of the, the animals, um, marijuana would not be included anymore because it's a legalized substance. Even though there's... They wouldn't, would not be included in the training. They would not certify a dog for marijuana detection. Really? No, it's, 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 why would you certify them for marijuana detection in a, in a state where the recreational use of marijuana is allowed? But what if they have three pounds of The marijuana? dog does not detect how much you have. True. The dog only detects the odor or the scent. Yeah. Huh. And I've always been curious, does a dog give you different mannerisms if it's... Uh, cocaine or heroin? No. 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 The dog is trained on a method of alerting to the handler, and that's how it's trained. Yeah. 
The handler does not know what he's looking for specifically, unless, of course, there comes that whole marijuana smoke coming out of the car. But um, that being set aside, no, the dog does not tell the the, uh, handler what drug it is to look for. So it doesn't go rough when it goes when it finds no. meth, or bark when it finds. That would be fun, <laughs> but no. <laughs> On that same note, what about searches and investigations? I wondered how often cops caught people for bigger crimes because they were able to get them on marijuana charges. Kind of the same way mobsters get away with murder, but the authorities are able to catch them for tax evasion. It's easier to catch people for smaller crimes sometimes. In other words. Did cops just lose one of their biggest advantages, one of the easiest ways of catching people for bigger crimes? Let me take it to this level, um, because this is a change that that has occurred. Um, I walk the drug dog around your car, and he hits on your car. He doesn't tell the officer there's marijuana on board or there's methamphetamines on board or heroin. He says that a scent that he is trained to sniff he has detected. And the search is up to the officers to determine what it is that is in the vehicle. So um, in, in the, uh, the event of, let's say you're driving down the street and I stop you and there you have it, just a small amount of marijuana. That's not a probable cause to search your car. Okay. However, if you roll down your window and there's smoke rolling out, such as in fast times at Ridgemont High, that's a bit of a problem. Yeah. And, and the search of the vehicle or inventory, whichever the case is, um, could result in the finding of other drugs. And what are, are your law enforcement folks are doing today is they're increasing their training. They're increasing their awareness and they're increasing their recognition. They may ask certain questions that allow them, hmm, some insight. For those that have ever been through a a DUI um, field sobriety test, what time is it? If the person can't tell you within a 24-hour period of what time it is, okay, I I need to start asking some more questions. Um, But you see what I'm getting at, right? Like sometimes... Marijuana can be the tip of the iceberg, but now... I, I will tell you this, and I tell everybody, your burned-out taillight can be the tip of an iceberg. That's true. <laughs> Next question. Can cops smoke weed? We are now living in a state where um, recreational use of marijuana is allowed. Okay. Set that aside. We are also living in a state where um, uh, employers have the right to prohibit it. And as, as uh, from a perspective of Carson City, uh, zero drug use is the policy. So that challenges um, uh, our, our employees that they have to choose. Do you want to be employed by this agency or, or this entity, or do you want to be employed elsewhere um, because of the recreational use? Um, it is my understanding, and I have asked for several briefings on this, that courts have ruled that employers have a right and a responsibility to address this issue, and that um, the zero-tolerance policy um, is perfectly within the legal uh, expectations. Another issue, evidence handling. Evidence handling. What about it? <laughs> so, okay. You so... cannot get high by touching marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> what about... I get I get uh, 
caught doing something I shouldn't do, and I'm put in jail, mm-hmm. and I have a, um, I have weed on me. Okay. Less than an ounce. Okay. Um, Chances are you will have told the officer they're not your pants. That's not your <laughs> weed. Um, and no, it's not going to cause a detection on anything. So, but, but okay, but if I say these are my pants and that's my <laughs> weed, <laughs> don't throw it away. Like, isn't that, that's still my property? No. 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 You've been arrested. We're so under, can you guys we're, take we're under anything? no obligation you... to, to save that for you. No. Okay. What do you do with it? It'll be destroyed. Do you burn it? Yep. You don't just throw it in Carson, the trash? Carson City was... If not, I believe it's, it was the first jurisdiction in the state of Nevada with on-site incinerator. Oh. We burn all drugs. Oh, interesting. Okay. Okay, next issue. What about people who were previously arrested for something that's now legal, like having an ounce of pot? That, that's really a good question. Um, and I, I would blow it out of proportion for you um, and, and say that there is a means to your record. Um, if you're dissatisfied with the content of your criminal history, there's a process to it. See your attorney. Um, and, and your attorney would likewise give you a, a legal opinion, and that's really the best course. My almost last question was, what about the black market? What's going to happen to it? Are all of the dealers going to go out of business? I think that law enforcement will always have a role in that, whether you're talking about the Gucci purse or, or the marijuana or whatever. If you have a high demand for it um, in, in, in your society, someone is going to try and take advantage of those people who want to purchase it. And, and I would emphasize that take advantage piece, okay? Um, someone will always be there to take advantage, be it for monetary reasons, addictive behavior, or just pure criminal activity. Someone will always be there to try and take advantage of you to get from you what they want. Are you saying that there are Gucci purses available for cheaper than... At the end of the day, the sheriff seems prepared for a world or at least a county where pot is legal. At the end of our interview, he kicked back with a box of Cheez-Its and had his cowboy boots on the desk, and he seemed frankly optimistic and comfortable with where his state landed on the issue. I had one more question, though. What would your father think, do you think? Oh, my God. What would my father (laughs) think? Um, It was a different era. It was a different time. I think that um, he would struggle with this. I, I do. But that was his character. And, and I certainly honor that. I, I loved my father like you just can't imagine. Um, that doesn't mean that he and I always agreed. It was a different era, a different time. We did things a little bit different. Um, I think I'm very well suited to deal with this challenge today. Um, I think I am. Because it's the right thing to do. I didn't get dumped on him because they stopped drug use just in time at Carson High School. (laughs) I make that jest because of the article. Um, It has been a long, long prohibition life cycle on marijuana. 
and and I'm proud that in this country that the people are standing up and saying we need to address this issue no different than domestic violence no different than all of the challenges that we face because uh, the people run this country not the government and with that we end today's episode of the podcast Thanks so much, guys, for listening. We're a production of the Reno Gazette Journal and the USA Today Network. I'm Jenny Kane, your host and producer. My editors are Kelly Scott and Brian Dugan of the Reno Gazette Journal. And Shannon Green of USA Today is our master of how the heck to do this right. Sheriff Kenny Furlong is our favorite sheriff solely on his predisposition to snort while laughing and his fondness for Cheez-Its. High five. Thanks, Sheriff. If you liked today's episode, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and then hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Don't miss next week when we talk about a fiercely competitive professional mountain biker who's arguably risking her career for a new sponsor, a cannabis company. Other professional athletes have come out as advocates for cannabis after their careers are over, but I'm still still competing avidly. If you want to add to this conversation, search for Podcast Podcast on Instagram and Facebook or shoot us an email at podcast at gannett.com. If you also just love talking about the West, West Coast is the best coast, check out the podcast Range, which explores uniquely Western issues. I admittedly know one of the gals who makes it, but seriously, it's good and I'm not getting paid to say this. Thanks again, guys, and don't miss next week.